five, four, three, two, one. You're listening to American Slacker Podcast with Matthew Gertz and Jesse Landers. why we're here gentlemen hell yeah dude tell us some Sorry. damn scary stories right we're gonna scare the shit out of each other gentlemen i hope every one of you has brought your fucking a game that's right should we do some introductions before we tell get into our stories i'm jesse from american slacker podcast i'm Matt from american slacker podcast and i'm scott from the lost signals i'm steve from the lost signals and Jordan River here from Growcast and the Coffee Health and Science Podcast and many others. Now that the plugs are gone. Now that everybody is familiar with each other because we didn't know what podcast we were from. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know why we're here. We're here to tell some stories, gentlemen. And uh, Jesse, I think you better start us out with some fire. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. You guys want to hear a story. I'm going to tell you one that I've been told for most of my life. Growing up, I lived in the Hudson Valley area of New York, where there are many legends that were passed down from person to person. At the one place where I constantly went every summer and spent most of my summer days, a place called Hackett Hill, there was a legend that was told from counselor to counselor about the people who first settled Hackett Hill. I'm not talking about the Native Americans. They were kicked out of there unjustly. And maybe because of that, this land ended up being not so prosperous to the, those who settled it. John Hackett built his house in 1850 on the property he called Hackett Hill. Unbeknownst to him, the evil that lurked in the woods. His wife, Helen, and two sons, John Jr. and Thomas, joined him in that house. And for many years, they lived normal, happy lives. But one night, little Thomas wandered into the woods, and he was never seen ever again after that night. The next morning, his family was in shambles. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where Thomas was. The woods were so thick and so deep. How would they ever find out the fate of their son? Well, it was too much for his brother, John Jr. to stand. And he went into the woods too. Later that day, the creek that ran through Hackett Hill ran red with blood of John Jr. and Thomas. This was too much for the parents. They fought and they argued night after night, going insane, not knowing the fate of their children. 
John decided to go look for the boys, knowing that it would probably be the last time he'd see his wife. He grabbed a hatchet and ran into the woods, never to be seen again. Some say, out in those woods, you can still hear John Hackett hatching away at the trees, looking for those who murdered his children. And what happened to Helen? Well, Helen hung herself from sheer misery of losing her family to those dreaded woods behind Hackett Hill. If you drive by today, you might see her in the attic where the light turns on each night, looking for her family to return. Ooh, I, the story of the Hackett. I, I just pissed myself a little for sure, man. That's, that's a story that was passed down from counselor to counselor uh, to keep kids from running away into the woods. <laughs> God, effective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You hear that? Probably just an animal, dude. It sounded okay. like a woodpecker thought, to me, man. I thought I heard something. My bad. Yeah. Who, who's next, by the way? I think it's me. All right, so I got one for you guys. This is one from back in the day from around 1900 or so. A man by the name of Robert de la Pure. He was, his family at least, used to be all prosperous nobles over in Scotland. He was living here in America. He got a letter one day informing him that he, his inheritance is awaiting him back in Scotland. So he returned to the ancestral family home, hoping to find, you know, treasure or uh, like wealth paintings, something of valuable. But instead, he found an empty old sort of jury castle with not much to it. And he brought with him only his, his best friend, Captain Norris, who he had sailed before with, and his cat, Black Boots. So he figured, well, I might as well uh, see what, what living in the, my old family home is like. So about a couple of days go by, and he notices his cat, Black Boots, starts acting a bit strange. It's, it's sort of mewing at the walls, like pawing at um, the thick castle, the thick brick of um, the walls, and trying to, like, dig down it seems so he thinks it's a little strange he, he and captain norris are like that's odd but you know maybe it's just an old house maybe he just hears things here and there then after a couple more nights they start hearing things almost like scratching noises like like something's trying to escape from behind the walls so they find that a little odd decide to hey listen we're we're, we're uh, knowledgeable men here at the age of uh 1900 or so they dig down they start digging down to the cellar like we'll get to the bottom of this the literal bottom start digging down to the cellar they start seeing that um, there's sort of um, catacombs down there, apparently to house the um, you know the, the former bodies of his uh, his ancestors. They start digging down a bit more. They don't find just tombs. They find pots and pans and utensils and so forth. Like that's a little strange. They start getting a bit concerned as they dig down. This cat Blackboots is with him. Starts just running around crazy in circles. They, dip, they start digging more and more. Finally, they get to the bottom of it, like centuries old under the earth and they find just a wall of rats like rats everywhere skeletons half-eaten bodies and he finally figured out his legacy what he did have a legacy but it wasn't treasure it was a cannibal clan I from his entire family oh oh my god oh, man <laughs> oh. wait what the fuck was that you got um all right i hear that, I that that time i heard oh, that fuck. It's it's got to be an animal. I yeah, mean, man, dude, I, I dude it's a woodpecker. Right. What else? What else it's makes it like stone or something on stone? Yeah, dude, I think it's. Cool. I don't know, man. I think it's a woodpecker. It sounded like stone, man. Sounded bigger than a woodpecker. I don't know. Eh, oh, you ain't seen the woodpeckers around here, buddy. 
All right, I need a distraction. Who's up next? This is. I got a uh, story. Jordan Ritter here. I'll share something. All right, it is. So this is a true story. It uh, happened to me. And you might think, you know, why didn't you call the cops and all that? Well, just trust me. It happened to me. That's why it's so scary, okay? So here's how it goes. I was house-sitting for my aunt and uncle in Vermont a couple years back. My aunt and uncle left me alone with their pet dog, Annie. She was a Westie with white fur for just a couple of days. Even though she was barely bigger than a paperback novel, maybe, she was a proud guard dog, always patrolling the house, constantly barking at anything suspicious. And I loved her like she was my own. So the house-sitting job seemed like a fun diversion. My aunt and uncle departed in a hurry, but they left me a brief reminder scrawled on a note on the fridge. Feed her twice daily. Seemed simple enough. I knew her favorite treats and when to fill her bowl. The first day was a breeze. We watched Netflix together until dark came, turned it off eventually. It felt a little weird being alone in this old cabin in the isolated mountains of Vermont. But I ignored my own uneasiness, and I went off to sleep. Then the howling began. The sound was blood-curdling. It was agonizing, echoing throughout the house. I had to get out of bed to investigate. After a few minutes, the screeching stopped, and I found Annie sitting alone in the dark kitchen. She was waiting anxiously by her empty bowl. I thought about feeding her again, but I couldn't ignore my instructions. Feed her twice daily. So I just went back to bed, and honestly, the howling didn't stop until sunrise. I didn't sleep at all. The next morning, I decided I had to break the rules. I couldn't handle this again, so I fed Annie three meals that day and some leftovers of my own, and then just tried to relax for the remainder of the evening, trying to go to bed calmer. I needed to be brave. I could handle this. I'm an adult, a full-grown man, goddammit. <laughs> but that second night, late into the night, the howling started again. I woke up in a panic. I wanted to hide under my covers until the shrieks just went away, but I knew that I had to go and find her. The howling stopped as I approached, and then I found Annie scratching at an old trap door in the guest room. My aunt and uncle had left it unlocked. Was there food down there? Did she smell something? I lifted the trap door, and then suddenly Annie sprang forward, barking violently down the steps until she disappeared into the darkness. Then came a loud, painful yelp and silence. My heart was pounding. I descended into the pitch-black cellar with only a small phone light to guide me. I could hear something was down there. I heard sounds, wet, slopping sounds. Ugh. It was the sound of ripping flesh and of crunching bones. When I reached the bottom, I shined the light towards the noises. There, on the floor, was a crimson puddle laced with tufts of white fur. The crunching stopped. I lifted the light a little bit higher. In the corner, wearing a tattered robe covered in rags, was the angular, bony frame of a small young girl staring right at me. And by her feet were broken chains bits of rope, and the remnants of countless other meals. She got down on all fours and prowled towards me. I froze. I almost ran, but I couldn't. Right before the demon child lunged forward, teeth bared, my mind flashed back to the note that my aunt and uncle left for me. Feed her twice daily. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, man. Nice. I was a little told. Yeah. Oh, that's horrifying. That is uh, scary. True story. <laughs> True story. <laughs>
Hope you don't talk to their aunt and uncle in a while. Yeah. I see why. Whoa, whoa. What the fuck was that? Holy shit, man. That was close, whatever that was. It's a deer. That sounded bigger it's than got a deer, man. All right. I'll believe deer, but not woodpecker. It's, it's a deer, dude. I mean, maybe he was running on rocks earlier. I don't. Yeah, maybe, man. Matt, Matt, I believe you, dude, if you say so. But that was pretty close. I'm just saying. I don't know. I, I think it's a deer, guys. I don't know these. I don't think we're better than we do. So here, I got, I got a story that'll get your mind up. All right, serious. Years ago, there was a wealthy couple who had two young children, a boy and a girl. They lived in a large house in Newport Beach, California. After taking care of their kids all week, the mother and father decided that they needed a break. So they booked a table for dinner at a nice restaurant. They then called a teenage girl they knew and arranged for her to babysit their children while they were out on date night. When the babysitter arrived, the parents told her to fix the supper for the kids and put them to bed. After that, you can just watch TV and help yourself to anything in the fridge, said the father. And if you wouldn't mind, said the mother, could you watch TV in our bedroom? The kids have been having nightmares recently, so if you hear them crying, you can just go in and calm them down. The babysitter happily agreed, and the parents left for their dinner date. The girl gave the children some milk and cookies, and then ushered them upstairs to bed. She started to read them a bedtime story, and before long, the kids were fast asleep. After tucking them in, she switched off the lights and went to watch TV. Now when the babysitter walked into the parents' bedroom and sat down, she immediately noticed that there was a creepy-looking clown statue standing in the corner of the room. She tried to ignore it, but it looked so eerie and disturbing that it sent a chill down her spine. She felt as though the eyes were staring straight into her soul as she watched TV. As time passed, the babysitter started to feel more and more uneasy about the clown statue. Whenever she glanced at it, she got the unsettling feeling that it had moved ever so slightly. Finally, the clown statue began to freak her out so much that she couldn't handle it any longer. She decided to go downstairs and the phone the parents. When she dialed the number that they had left, the mother answered. Hey, it's me, said the babysitter. Everything's fine. The kids are fast asleep in their bed. But I was wondering, would it be okay if I watched TV downstairs instead of your room? Of course, replied the father. But why? I know it sounds silly, laughed the girl, but the clown statue is really creeping me out. The clown statue, asked the father. Yeah, the clown statue in your bedroom, the girl replied. The phone went silent for a minute. Listen to me very carefully, said the father. Take the children and get out of the house. We will call the police. Go, now. What's wrong, asked the girl. The father gulped and replied, we don't have a clown statue. For a second, oh. the babysitter just stood there, stunned. Then she dropped the phone and raced upstairs and grabbed the children, carrying one under each arm as she raced downstairs again and fled out of the street, out onto the street. Huddled on the sidewalk, comforting the two children, the babysitter looked up at the bedroom window and saw something that made her scream out of horror. Peeking through a gap in the curtains was a white painted face of a clown. It stared at her for a moment and then sank back into the darkness. Within minutes, the police arrived and cautiously entered the house in the upstairs bedroom. They found a man dressed in a clown suit. When they arrested him, they found a knife concealed in his costume. The clown turned out to be a mentally disturbed man who was convicted murderer and a cold-blooded killer. The evil man had been stalking the family for months, lurking in their attic during the daytime and coming out to sneak around at the house at night. For weeks, the children had been complaining about a clown statue that stood in their room and watched them sleep. But the parents dismiss this as nightmares. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> That's a good one. It's living Puppy in their clowns. house. That's a good one, yeah. 
And with that one, gentlemen, I will leave you because I need to use the little man's room. So I'm going to go take a leak. I'll okay, right. do. All right, man. Do we wait right. or, for you to come back or tell no, the dude, next story? No, dude, just tell the story. All right, I'll yeah, hear it. All right, we'll see in I'll tell it loud. You can hear it. So this one's this one's uh, called the uh, the onirophage. Right. Is that a word? Man, Google said no, but. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Tell it anyways. All right, so here we go. In the late nineteen, uh, in the late forties of the last century, after a decade of private research involving experiments with binaural beat brainwave frequencies, extrasensory cognition, and rare extracts of a South American vine, Dr. Tomas Rosner perfected a technique whereby one could actually intrude into the psyche and see another's thoughts. Despite having exhaustively documented his rigorous work, he could find no institution that would even offer to review it. Forced to sell his invention, he found by word of mouth among those through whom he procured narcotics, a prospective buyer, black sheep of an old New York family, Mr. John M. Dunn, a voyeuristic connoisseur, supernatural and the obscene who had squandered his idle youth in the great libraries of Paris, those catacombs of departed authors rummaging through their hordes of dusty and obsolete works, a literary ghoul who disturbed with profane fingers the charnel houses of decayed philosophies. He readily agreed to the doctor's asking price without haggling, delighted at the prospect of exploring such a bizarre novelty. Once adept at the operation of the apparatus, Dunn paid Dr. Rosner off and, under an assumed name, rented a shabby house with a view of Sing Sing prison. In the timeless night, while convicts fitfully slept, and with the aid of a set of stolen blueprints and his new mind-reading device, he raided their memories cell by cell at liberty to savor the forbidden thrill of thefts, cons, and murders in secret without remorse or consequence. Within a month, the prisoners telling each other about the nightmares from which they had all begun abruptly to awaken discovered they shared striking similarities. First, processions of alligators and tortoises filed through a swamp crowded with faceless people and shrieking orchids. Next, a shadow man at whom they looked directly but could never quite see would watch them in utter stillness from an empty house while invisible hands probed their eyes as they had to stand naked, legs locked in place, unable to run away. Their compared descriptions of the house were identical, including its location just outside the walls. By mutual agreement, it was planned that the first of them to receive parole or to be released would search this house out to find out if it really existed and to investigate the source of their troubling dreams. A few days after being freed, their chosen spy was able to inform them with a smuggled messaging code that not only was the house real, but he had broken into it at night and found a gaunt, mustached man in a silk smoking jacket seated bolt upright, head thrust back, mouth stuck open in a stiffened gasp and clenched hands gripping the arms of his chair in front of a scientific machine. A handwritten journal on the desk told the whole story uh, of his adventures prying unconstrained through their psyches, plundering the haunted memories of criminal after criminal, seeking ever more shameful and audacious experiences until finally he wrote on July 7th of his overwhelming desire to witness telepathically the next execution in the prison's notorious electric chair. Damn, dude. Oh, man, that's like a Twilight Zone. Yeah. Damn, holy shit. What the fuck? What the fuck? Is that a fucking deer? What the fuck? You're right.
My story was a passed down urban legend from counselor to counselor in High Park, New York. Right, and mine is based upon an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Rats in the Walls. I sort of um, stole and re retold, but <laughs> it's one of his stories uh, in the collection. Sorry, I was muted there. I got, <laughs> I got my story from uh, a thread on EntityMag.com called 15 Scary Stories That'll Make You Sleep With The Light On. Nice. My story was an old urban legend, and the version that I had taken was from scaryforkids.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my story was uh, called The Onirophage, uh, by, uh, written by S.W. Rice. And uh, it, can be, it can be found, you know, in a, in a book called Of Wonders Beyond Thule, short stories. Nice. So what did we learn? I, I learned a few things. Never house it or pets it for anyone. Yep, correct. <laughs> Doesn't matter how close of a family member or immediate of a family member they are. Never do that. Uh, yeah. Animal scratchings at things is definitely Always a red flag. Bad. Yep. 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 And then, and then, definitely don't try to break into the psyche of murdering <laughs> of criminals. criminals. So, I mean, that That's seems obvious, big. but I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah. And overall, stay out of the woods this Halloween. Yeah. Oh yeah, never oh, yeah. go in the woods. <laughs> stay inside. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Support for American Slacker comes from Manscaped, who's the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I don't know about you, Jesse, but I am sick and tired of being outmatched by these razors and traditional trimmers that you get in the store, and no matter what, they, they fucking snag your nuts. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. They have a lawnmower 2.0 razor, which they have sent our way, has a proprietary skin-safe technology, so you won't get those nicks or snags on your nuts. Nice! Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Yeah, and with our 20% off code plus free shipping, you're going to be uh, saving a bunch of money and getting some great products that won't end up uh, making it look like a war zone down there. All you got to do is enter Slackers at checkout. Manscaped.com. 20% off. Get your anti-chafing ball deodorant, your sweet lawnmower 2.0. Your nuts will thank you later. You can even rep them by getting yourself a Manscaped.com t-shirt. So head on over to manscaped.com, 20% off at checkout, enter code SLACKERS. Get your ball swag here. And another one in the books. All right. So do we have anything else we have to do today? Not that I can think. Well, actually, we did get an email during the show. Did you see that? Oh, shit, yeah. I saw something from the Mad King, right? Yeah, he marked it urgent, which uh, is okay. kind of odd. Huh. There's there's also an audio attachment. Huh. All right, play that shit so I can hear it. Okay, here. Yo, guys, Mad King here. I know you like to keep up on everything weird and out of the ordinary. I just came across this crazy old vinyl from this hole-in-the-wall shop in Chinatown. It's an Icelandic metal band whose name translates to Hate Cannibal pretty fucking rad but i think you guys need to hear this sound clip though it's not the music but this crazy animal audio that seems to be hidden at the end of the record well just listen to this 
Maybe the studio band management knows where it was recorded or has their information. If anyone can get some answers to this, I know it'll be you two swaggers. What the fuck was that? Was it was that an animal? Or a fucking demon. Okay, so where do we even start with this? Well, Seth included some pictures of his vinyl and some info from its sleeve. Okay. The recording studio actually isn't that far from you. It's only down in the city. Okay, so I'm going to the city this weekend. I mean, fuck it. I should just go early, and I'll just shoot over to this fucking place. I want to dig deeper into this case. Oh, definitely. As long as this place is still even open. Okay, so we've done some digging into this eerie sound sample sent in to us from a listener. It's brought me to this alleyway in Brooklyn, New York, where I'm about to walk into that studio and meet the producer of the record. Hey there, I'm Matt from American Slacker. I have a uh, 3 p.m. appointment. There's only appointment. You can go right in. Uh, Oh, okay. Come in, come in, please have a seat. Can I get you a drink or anything? Uh, Matt, was it? Uh, do you do you have a stage name you go by? Is there more like a kind of Springsteen thing? Uh, no, sorry. I'm not here to record anything, but I do have a few questions for you regarding this record here. Uh, this record, I remember this record. You know what a pain in the ass this record was to make? 1995, it was hot. The music on the radio was shit. On a peaceful summer afternoon, Icelandic metal began ripping a cold bolt of lightning through the boroughs of the city. Uh, okay, so, but back to the record. Do you recall this specific sound? It's at the end of track five. I I have it on my phone here. I do. I remember that sound. The band, they, they came in with the discus sounds they wanted to use. They had collected them from early internet conspiracy theory message boards. That's one of the reasons this album was so hard to put together. I had to have personal correspondence with a bunch of crazies just to get permission to use the sounds. Okay, well we were hoping to find out where this specific sound came from. You know, if, uh, if you give me a few days, I- I'll look through my records and I'll see what I can do for you. Thank you. That would that would be perfect. If you can just send it to my email, uh, that would be great. And until next time, that's it. There you go. So we ended up getting a response from that producer. He said he searched his records, and it turns out he couldn't find a name for the person that recorded the sound, but he did find an address. Where is it? Somewhere in Washington State. Alright slackers, we are now deep in the forest of Cascadia, chasing down the origin of the sound. Jesse, do you think this is going to be a waste of time? The sound sample is from over 20 years ago, 
How do we even know the address is good? Well, we're already here at this point. The road ended a while back, but the GPS says it continues for a few miles up into the woods we've been walking through. We haven't seen much, though. Well, as long as the GPS says we're on route, I guess we keep hiking. I mean, we've already gone a good distance. I don't know how much further I want to keep going. There's nothing out- What the fuck? That was pretty close, man. It came from up here. I guess that's where we're going. Holy shit, what's going on? Who the hell are you two and why are you sneaking up on me like that? We're sorry, we, we didn't mean to startle you. We just, we heard gunshots and we didn't know there was anyone else out here. We're, we're just researching this bizarre sound from a metal record. Out here? Well, I'm the only one within 50 miles. Metal, you say? I've got a good feeling I know the sound you're talking about. Let's head back to the cabin. Grab that pig for me. I'll let you know what I got. He seriously wants us to grab that thing? For the podcast, right? So, you want to know about the big hairy cousin to humans that doesn't exist? You think you know what a Bigfoot is? Is... is that the sound? Is... is it Bigfoot? It goes by many names. Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, Abominable Snowman, Skunk Ape, Tinky Winky. I've seen them. I've heard them call in the night. The recording. Is that a Bigfoot call? If you thought a pack of wolves howling at the moon would send a cold sweat over a man, you ain't ever heard one of these screaming after a kill. They glorify every kill with a howl that makes Slayer sound like the Jonas Brothers. You boys sure you want to do this? Absolutely. Absolutely. One day, I couldn't make it back because I had hiked too far out recording bird calls. There was a bad storm, so I stopped in this cave for the night so my equipment wouldn't get wet. That cave is where I recorded the sound. What happened? It sounded like a freight train coming through the trees. I started the recorder. As the lightning struck, I saw a massive figure illuminating the silhouette of a beast not fit for this world. It was like a man figure, but with a ferocious wildness. I will remember that sound for the rest of my life.
Do you think the cave is safe now? Can we go check it out? I doubt this cave has been used for quite some time. I'm sure it's fine. <gasps> oh no! Oh god, I was wrong! That is a bear! Ah, my arm! We shouldn't have gotten in that cave, man. The bear killed the hunter. He's fucking dead. And now we're dead. My bag was open when we ran and I lost a bunch of our shit, including the GPS. Fuck! We have to get back. We're gonna find a way out of this. And we have to report this to the authorities. We don't even know where the fuck we are. We don't even know his name. It's getting dark. And we're basically drop pins in the middle of miles of the densest forests of all of America. Hold on a second. Of course I don't have service out here. Check your phone. Maybe there's a pin on it and we can find where the car is and get out of here. Oh, whoa. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it is marked, but without service, I have no idea where we are in relation to it. You know, we, we basically walked straight north into this place. The sun has been setting that way, so we know that's west, which will make this south. So we have to head this way. Matt, I'm serious. I'm fucking starving. You have to give me a handful of that trail mix, or I, I might just pass out. Look, man, we don't know how long we are going to be out here. We have to be smart about every single move we make. It's not my fault you packed eight candy bars and you ate them all in the first few days. I'm rationing these nuts. You're going to give me those nuts. Go find your own nuts, dick. Give me the fucking bag. Get... Fuck, dude, no. Get her fucking wound him. Stop. Get him. My hand. Ow. My hand. Jesse. Behind you. Oh, my. It's real. Oh, my God. Slowly hand it the trail mix. I hope this works. Please don't kill me, Sasquatch. I think it likes it. It's eating like the whole bag. It's walking away. But I, I think it wants us to follow it. Wait, do we really want to go with this thing? What if it turns around and rips us apart? Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. But it could have killed us right away. I feel like it's trying to help us. In fact, I know it. Do you really think anyone's gonna believe us? We're following this creature that made the noise. The noise. It's real. We managed to stumble across it. We found what everybody in the world thinks is a myth. And I can't believe this is happening. But I've got to say, man, my feet are fucking killing me. We've been following this thing for two hours. And now I'm wondering where it is bringing us. 
what if we're following it back to its nest and it's gonna try to kill us? I knew we shouldn't have followed or trusted this hairy animal. Wait! Dude, that's the hunter's cabin! Holy shit, you're right! Wait, it's, it's going right for the pig that the hunter shot. I think he shot it for the Bigfoot. It's like an offering. Wait, it's, it's coming over here. You guided us and brought us back to safety. Thank you. I don't know if we could ever repay you. There it goes, back into non-existence. Wait! We forgot to tell you! Your friend is dead. <gasps> and those were the last words we ever spoke to the beast of the Pacific Northwest. We were finally able to provide an answer for the source of the noise. But the question remained, would anyone believe us? This show was written and produced by Jesse Landers and Matthew Gertz. Characters in this series were voiced by Seth Anders, Matthew Gertz, Jesse Landers, Marley Oxenholm, and Aaron Weininger. This has been an American Slacker production. production.